I'm sure you guys have read about the, um, you've read in scripture about the submarine from, 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 uh, from Pofadar. You heard about the submarine from Pofadar? Not. It's in second editions 3 verse 8. But I believe there is a submarine from the Pofa that we need to take heed of. Um, and uh, it might sound a little light-hearted, but it really isn't that light-hearted. Um, but it's sometimes good to be light-hearted around more heavy things. Because the victory is already ours, all right? So I'm going to explain to you a little bit about about Pofadar and about a submarine and about what I believe God says about it. Are you ready? A couple of principles that's important. I need to explain the Pofadar analogy to you first. So you see, <clears throat> if the Springbok rugby team would play against Pofadar High, they'll win every time. Right? If they play. If they don't play, or they drink tea on the field, or half the team doesn't, doesn't pitch up, then both other might score some tries, and they'll desperately try to score some tries against the Springboks. Are you with me? But all the Springboks really need to do to win is to just play their game. They'll walk over them. Right? So, with the victory already obtained in Jesus Christ, it's good for us to think of our victory in such um, terms that we are like the Springboks playing against Pofadar. And then subsequently to making up this analogy, I realized that Pofadar is a snake. And then it fitted the analogy even better. Um, and a joke turned into a sermon. But all we need to do in the victory of Jesus Christ is actually to rock up and play our game. And Pofadar has no chance. Now, we know Pofadar High School, and there isn't a high school like that. I googled it, so I'm not bashing anyone. It's called Busmanland High in um, Pofadar. So there's no high school like that, but just imagine there, were, there was. Now, obviously the enemy's strategy is not to score tries against us and have a beer afterwards, but it is to still kill and destroy so there is a lot at stake in this war that we fight against, uh, against Paul Father. And we, we, we might lose more than only, um, only pride if we don't play. But the great thing is that the victory is already won and we must just enforce it. In some sense, Paul Father is almost like 
England doing a fake victory lap after the World Cup because they've already lost but they're trying to show that they're the best or that they've actually won. All we need to do is actually do our victory lap and stop them from ridiculing it. So that's the first principle. We're the Springboks and all we need to do is to play and then we win. It's sometimes really hard for us when we for some time haven't really played. And then we see a lot of tries scored against us and we feel overwhelmed by, by poor father. But if you would know that you're a springbok, you'd know that that's, you're not overwhelmed, you just haven't played. Um, and sometimes it's really hard for some of us if only half of the team is playing, then you play a little bit harder. But we must understand that, yes, the enemy is powerful, but the victory is already won. We just need to play. That's clear, okay? So you understand the poor thing now. It'll come together soon. Then there's the submarine. Now, submarines are not built in of other as much as Noah's Ark should never have been built, uh, naturally speaking, where it was. But anyway, that's off. Um, that's not. That's not going to help you to understand the submarine analogy. Um, Christie had a vision during intercession a while back um, about a submarine that's lying off the coast of Cape Town. And the submarine has got three major um, lines of attack almost. It's three red lines that came in from the submarine into the city as if it was lying just off the shore and it was having these three lines of attack that it shot into the city. And um, the moment she shared that, I felt God clearly saying to me, whoa, you need to listen what this is now we are charismatics so often there are often visions and stuff alright and we try to discern which ones are from the Lord which ones are for me which ones are for all of us which ones and for this one I just felt the Lord almost stopping me and say ask me what the three arrows are ask me what the three lines of attack are ask me what what is doing um and why the poor father analogy is important is otherwise we go into oh, such incredibly strong weapons, we will most likely be killed, you know. But it's just poor father. Okay. But anyway, so the three lines of attack, and then I, 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 I asked God, what are these three things that the enemy is pointing into the city? It was almost the sense I got was it was a continual, like, using the same one again, 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 those three things. And in that moment, I felt God say to me clearly, I felt him say to me, it's secular humanism, religion, and consumerism. And before you go to that slide, because we're going to, then everybody's going to read everything on there. 
but we can go there now. But secular humanism, religion, and consumerism. And I thought, I, I said, okay, God, help me here. Um, <clears throat> and I said, Lord, wh- why? How does this work? What's going on? And then I felt, and the Lord has been preparing me to hear this from him for the week before that, um, in various things that I've seen and that I've thought about. And then the Holy Spirit told me that secular humanism, as it is in its core, the, um, the ideology that there is no God, and we are the highest beings, and we determine morality and it is based on science and on the um, tolerating everything that's what secular humanism comes from and I felt God say to me but that that thing that says there is no God we determine morality so we decide what is good what is not good human beings decide what is good and what is not good and what is acceptable and not acceptable that's the world proclaiming its own righteousness that's the world saying, we say what is good. If you conform to this, this, and this, you're good. If you don't, then you're not. I'll explain a little bit more on that just now. Then, so, so I felt the Lord said, this is a false righteousness the world is preaching. And then religion, a dead religion in that sense, a works-based religion. So... It's when we, in any religion, even in Christianity, when one believes I must do in order to please God. I must bring works so that I would be accepted. Okay, so all religions work like that, and many even believe that Christianity works like that. But we are not about what we must do, but we are about what he has done. And if we focus on what he has done, then the things we do just you know, comes out like, like a response of thanksgiving and praise and the surrendering of our lives to his lordship. So the, the false religion, even in Christianity, that says you must do so you can be loved and accepted and have, and have peace with God is the same in all religions. You must do certain things so you can have, there can be a peace between you and the gods and you and yourself. Just subscribe to these minimum things. To some, you know, like many Catholics would feel, I just do this and this and this once a year, three times a year, and every now and again I do that, then I've got peace with God and with myself. And, um, you know, the Jews feel, well, if we've drawn our lines, our like Sabbath lines, and we've set up this and this, and we just don't do that and that, then, oh, I'll have peace with God and peace with myself. And the Hindus feel, if I just remember to make offerings to all the household gods, blah, 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 then... I have peace with the gods and peace with myself and I'll be fine. I felt the Lord saying to me, it's the world proclaiming its own peace. A false peace. That's not rooted in the work of Jesus Christ, but in what we do. And then the last one, consumerism, that we know too well. It's, it, it's in essence us saying, um, I want more I want more goods and services um, in ever-increasing amounts and in ever-nicer ways. And it's, it's admirable to desire 
and to speak about more and more and more of that. It's the social and economic order that encourages the acquisition of goods and services in ever-increasing amounts. And then I felt the, world, the Lord saying to me, that, that is the world proclaiming its own joy. We'll come back to this slide just now. Just, or just, just hang on. I'll, we're we're going to move to the next one, and then we're going to move back to this one. But not going to move to the next one now. I know this is very confusing, but I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you right now. So, I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, "The world's proclaiming its own righteousness, its own peace, and its own joy." And right there, the penny dropped. And Romans fourteen says, "For the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? This kingdom that we." that we live in, that we've inherited, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of carnal things and what we should do and not do and eat this and don't do. But it's of righteousness. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So all the enemy is doing is he's bringing the counterfeit and he's presenting it very palatable. And it's like that frog in the water that just gets heated up a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. So what we should be engaging in is the righteousness through the work of Jesus Christ, the peace we get from the Prince of Peace, and the joy we get from our salvation and His presence. But there are these three lines of attack from the enemy, and it is affecting us all in various ways. So if we can go back to that slide. So secular humanism, I want you to understand that all these Capetonian and media-hyped things that the world is bringing to us at the moment and all the more, LGBTQIA, GBV, BLM, veganism, feminism, Bidenism, evolution, portion, atheism, all these things that the world is saying, this is good, you must subscribe to this. If you do not subscribe to this, you're not righteous. If you would speak out loud against LBTGQ, against GBV, BLM, or if you'd speak out loud, you could almost feel it. In Cape Town specifically. I told someone, if you're actually in Marmesbury and you speak about these things, it doesn't feel that way. But if you're in Cape Town and you start speaking about these things, it's like, if I said we went, actually went hunting for meat, then I can feel that a vegan thing like coming. So, and all of these things have inherent good in them. And that's the problem. The, the LBGTQ one, for instance, would say, but oh, so you hate gay people. And we say, oh no. We love them more than you know. But we'll definitely not support your agenda. And we do believe that committing an, an act of homosexuality is sin before God that leads to death. And we'll, we'll proclaim that. But to say that out loud is a problem. Maybe I should say a few things about 
that just now maybe we could, I, I thought we would preach about that at some stage but it's important just to 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 say that when we come to Christ the word of God says those who have come to Christ have crucified the flesh with its um, passions and desires so in the churches that are lukewarm in what they preach the gospel to be where the gospel does not require you to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires as you come to Christ but where you can just come and like do whatever and see whatever God does in that gospel in that in that semi-false gospel we've got no right to say to anyone that you must let go of your sexuality but in the real gospel my sexuality I let go of my heterosexuality when I come to Christ I have no right I have no right. I crucify that. And for those of you that haven't heard that, we crucify that. If, if God would say, you will never marry, marry Paul, then that's it. There's nothing telling us even, this might just shock you, we've got no indication, I'm not saying it was or it was not at all. No indication, and it could be very feasible that Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been same-sex attraction that he crucified and he never got married and he had the most intimate relationship with God you could ever have. It's this thing of human rights and da-da-da-da-da that creeps into the church, this secular humanist thing of human rights that creeps into the church that says, but I, I have got certain basic rights, right? But in Christ, if you want the life that he has to offer, you give that up. So then we're all on equal footing. But if we believe we do have rights, then we're in a very tricky place. And many churches are in that place. And that's why everything is just welcome. So whatever God says, then is not the main thing anymore. And then you've got gender-based violence. I'm not going to go through all of them. But we'd say, oh, so you don't support that. So, I mean, do you, do you condone violence against women and children? And we weep. And we say, <laughs> we hate it. We hate it. But your agenda of insubordination, your agenda of rebellion against leadership, and especially male leadership, is demonic. And I will not subscribe to that. And the same with Black Lives Matter. We hate racism. But we hate riots also and rebellion. So we don't not subscribe to Black Lives Matter because we're racist. We don't subscribe to it because it's also rebellious. We hate racism. And so all these attacks would be leveraged against those who would say, but I will not bow the knee. They literally made people bow the knee before Black Lives Matter. Bow the knee. And if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't submit to this rebellious thing, then it's frowned upon. And so these, these, these very seemingly good things that the media love and they push for, that is, that comes from the foundation 
that says there is no God, we are God, we decide right and wrong. Evolution was the great-grandfather of all this. And everything else is built on this. And from that place, you can justify all these things. And so many Christians are into these things to lesser or greater extents. And I'll speak to us right now because I know most of us are not. But we do feel the pressure. And there's something about that I want to speak about. So secular humanism, I wanted to just say something specifically about that religion in more detail as I've said, all the different religions and the things you do, 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 you must do, you must do, you must do, so you have um, peace with God. Get away from that. And then consumerism where, I mean, in our midst it's rife. In my heart it's a problem. I like it. I like it too much. Sometimes, last week I preached about fuzzy feelings. I mean, I get fuzzy feelings about, about that coffee in the morning. Much more so often than when I think I'm going to, I'm praying tongues for half an hour now, you know. And then I think, oh. But if you feed yourself that every day, it's going to creep up on you. And it's a beautiful thing, it's a good thing, and I mean, coffee is a great thing, but... Wining and, wining and dining is a great thing. I'm taking friends out to restaurants. If you can afford, that can be a beautiful thing. But social media can be used incredibly. But events everywhere, always, at any time. Sports, it can be such a good thing. But then you just tap out of life because I need to train for this thing so hard. You know, it becomes the ultimate thing. I haven't had quiet time for the last two months because training for Iron Man. And we don't recognize that. Netflix snobism about stuff. The consumers thing. So it's probably, I mean, all of these things are around us. But we should just take note of this. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think we should do about this later, which is um, if if this would be a presentation on England's strategy to win the World Cup in the final, then we'd know very well that as much as we should know what they want to do, if we want to win, we should do very well what we need to do. Okay? And not play just around this. Oftentimes, you know, Christian agenda would mess it up and start pointing fingers at these things and like shooting at these things. And I'm like, don't do that. Just do what we need to do very well and know this then we win at the end of the day the team with the most points wins that was a nice that joke if you didn't if you didn't get it then there was a dream that um, Carla had um, now my sermons are definitely not always based on everyone else's visions and dreams but this one is this one is and I praise God for that um, Carla had a dream and my understanding of it there's, there was a lot of um, fires around us there was a lot of fires around the city I think and it was it, it was bad fires it wasn't, it wasn't good fires as in we would 
charismatically speak about fire. It was bad fires that was, that was killing. And then she felt that, that we, as a congregation, as people, we were not being um, killed by the fire. It was around us. But a lot of us died from smoke inhalation. And I once again felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me so strongly. Just saying that I know that you guys, you guys don't, and we don't have a lot of people that would actively participate in worldly agendas like this. We'd, we wouldn't actively advocate for a lot of these things, but we would allow some of it. We would allow just enough into our hearts to sympathize with it, to understand it, to be ignorant towards it, or not to agree with it, but just to... Maybe it's easy not to have an opinion on it even. And not, to have an opinion is not to share, but for your own heart. And therefore, we are not engaging, we're not jumping into these fires where we'll be burned. But if we just, whatever about it, I believe that smoke is killing us and not only the fire. And therefore, we must not sympathize with these agendas in our own hearts, with of other strategies. So what do we do? You know what we do? I just told you a while back, but I'll say it again. We don't we don't focus on of others backline moves. It's useless against ours. We just do our thing. So now, you probably didn't see it going this way, but I think this is a wonderful answer to the Christian in the light of what's going on. I'm going to give you a wonderful answer, I believe, from, from Paul to Timothy on what we do when we focus on our own moves while aware of the enemy. And in a sense, this was Paul's final game plan to Timothy. Timothy was, was Paul's spiritual son whom he loved dearly. And the book of 2 Timothy was written when Paul was in jail, most likely awaiting execution. A very, a very dire situation. And he's writing this last letter to his spiritual son. This will be the last thing he says. He say to him, if he ever reads this letter. Do you understand some of the weightiness behind that? Then he begins the letter and in chapter 1 he speaks about this faith that they have. That he first saw in, his, in Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother and that now also dwells in Timothy. So he's speaking about a generational faith that's bigger than just Timothy. And then about his own life, he also says, I thank God, or I, I think he says, I, I thank God as did my ancestors. So he's, he's referring to the fact that this faith is not only me and you, Timothy, trying to do something here. This faith has been from Abraham. From Abraham, we've inherited this faith. Your grandmother, your mother, me and my ancestors. This is a big thing that we're contending 
for. That's the first thing that he makes clear. The second thing he makes clear is that he's suffering for this in jail right now and he might die. And this faith is worth even suffering like that. This is bigger than us. This is worth dying for, my son. And then he continues to speak of his hardship in this and say, he actually says, do you know that all in Asia have, all in Asia forsook me? All in Asia forsook me. Now, because Paul was put in jail, a lot of the Christians um, didn't think it's that cool that the apostle is now a convicted criminal. And they dissociated with him. Because it was uh, uncomfortable to associate with him. So he was forsaken, left to die. He's writing this letter to his last son, encouraging him that this thing is worth it. So in light of that, if you start reading 2 Timothy 2, after 2 Timothy 1, this introduction, and where we're at, He starts with these words and he says, you then, my child. Now, all of a sudden, this bears more weight than what she just does if you read it on a Wednesday morning when you're really not really awake yet and you just have to do your little Bible study. All right? You then, my child. And he says three beautiful things. He says more things, but I want to focus on this. I believe there's an answer for us in this. He focuses on these beautiful things. He says, you then, my child, because of what I've just told you, you then, my child, what should you do in the light of the fact that we we die for our faith? Our faith is so much bigger than us, and we suffer even the loss of relationship. And He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Number one. Number one, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We often read over these kind of lines. You know, Paul would say grace and peace to you. And blah, blah, blah. Let's go and get to the real stuff. The longer I've walked with the Lord, the longer I've just stopped when he speaks about mercy and about peace and about, about grace. And, about and what it comes down to is that continual, those habits that continually remind you of the gravity and impact of the cross of Jesus Christ on your life and that it's you that you would you were completely dead in your trespasses with no way out but he then saved you and every day when you come to him and confess your sins and you receive his forgiveness freely you know this is because he suffered and died And because he suffered and died, because I'm accepted by him, I'm fully accepted as his son and his daughter. And this is amazing, incredible, mind-blowing. It means that I'm free. It means that I'm forgiven. It means that I've got authority. It means that I'm chosen. It means that I've got eternity with Him. It means all these beautiful and wonderful things. The joy of our salvation. And Hebrews speaks about the fact that we should not neglect the salvation so great. 
How do you neglect a little uh, plant? You don't attend to it. How do you neglect your relationship with your wife? You don't attend to it. How do you not neglect salvation so great? You don't attend to it anymore. Attend to that so that it is real in your heart. So that when you think about the cross, you have to swallow away a tear. Then you know there's something clicking. The Christian without that something clicking is on a rat race that's going to make you run into a wall. Because if it's not bowled out by the cross and what he has done, you inevitably slide back into what you must do. So we must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must have habits that makes us attend to this. Build this in. It's been one of the biggest revelations of my year. Number one, what are you doing, my child, to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Now, I almost don't want to move to the second one if the first one isn't clear. Because the second one, in our Western minds, we say, what, what can I do? Give me some work to do and I'll do it. And the second part is that. It's the work we must do. The work will not give you the peace. The work will, will give you a lot of joy and a lot of satisfaction, blah, blah, blah. If you're indeed strengthened by Christ. Okay, let's, so 2 Timothy 2 from verse 2 then says, And, number 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is Paul's way of saying, Go and make disciples of all nations. What was Jesus' last words? Go and make disciples of all nations. What is Paul's last words to his spiritual son? Go and make disciples. Just before he leaves, you just want him to know that this is it. Whatever you've heard from me, the discipleship you received from me in the presence of many witnesses, which says that he didn't only do one-on-one coffees with them, but discipleship is more effective in group settings. He said, entrust these to faithful men. So find faithful men that you can now impart to what I've imparted to you. And these faithful men must be those that are able to teach others also. So make sure that they understand that this doesn't stop with them, but it continues on. So Paul is concerned with four generations of discipleship in that little phrase. And so should we. This is my child, what we should do. So many other nice things we do. There are main things that we should sacrifice for in order for us to do. And then, we spoke about this last week. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is the Christianity that we preach and proclaim. The one that says that our lives are not our own anymore. That's not, we, we do not subscribe to the Christianity that says do whatever you want and add Jesus. We subscribe to the one where we are soldiers in an army. We spoke last week about suffering and how, how, 
how Paul writes that he, he counts everything as rubbish. Everything as rubbish. And the easy Christian answer is, if you ask, what does he count everything as rubbish for? They say, oh, the next part is to know him. Yes, that's our greatest reward. The scripture goes on to say, I count all of this rubbish, everything I have, everything I have, all of it, to know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To Paul, in having the sufferings of Christ, to suffer is to be desired. The scripture says, leap for joy. Not run away from. Not make life decisions that says, I'll suffer less if I do that. I won't do that because it will lead to suffering. That's counterintuitive if you understand that you're a soldier in an army. If you're a Springbok rugby player and you say, well, I'm not going to do the heel sprints and the squats that you want me to do because it causes me suffering, then you cannot be a Springbok rugby player over and out. You don't understand. That's fine. You can play for the third team of your club. But you cannot be a springbok if you don't understand this. It's in scripture, it's everywhere. Some of the deepest experiences of joy and of and of peace and of life clicking is when we suffer and then we realize I, I will throw away of my superficial joys only to suffer. Because it's worth much more to me. I would rather, in that sense, in a natural sense, I would rather do all my burpees and my squats and my heel sprints every day when I've seen how good it is for me when I want to get fit. I would rather, I do that rather than to lie in bed and have some coffee. Now, that one, we, we understand that. I said this last week, I'm repeating myself, but we must get this. We understand that in a natural sense, that it's a mature way to think about life. It's better for me to go run now. So some of us are still immature in that also, so that it's not only about running, it's about everything in life. You know, I'd rather have my coffee at home, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that running is the ultimate thing. It isn't at all. You don't have to do it. You're speaking about spiritual matters, but when it comes to spiritual things, so many of us decide to remain little babies rather want milk. And we miss out, man. We miss out on the miracles. We miss out on the revivals. We miss out on the incredible things God is doing because He cannot allow a little baby into the war zone because He's just going to die. And He loves you too much for that. So it will just make you be a baby then. But we do want to call you out from that place because many of you are not anymore. No soldier then gets entangled in civilian pursuits. We're going to go on holiday now, and a lot of us are looking forward to a lot of stuff. The soldier can't just do whatever he wants. You know what I heard once, that there's one rule in Satanism, one law. Thou shalt do what thou wilt. Oh, this holiday, I'll just do whatever I want. I get scared when I hear that. Very scared. 
I'll do whatever I want. I'm just going to take some time. Whatever I want to do, I'll just do. Wake up when I want to do what I want. I'm like, that sounds great. And it might, be, it might shipwreck your faith. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Is it the civilian thing? Is it the same thing everybody else pursues? Growth in my career, a house, I want a house, I want this, I want that, I want this, I need this. Is it a civilian pursuit? Is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Because I can tell you this much, I've, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to, in my young life, I've experienced a lot of stuff. I've seen a lot of the world. I haven't seen as much as a lot of people, but for a young man, I've seen a lot enough and, and I've tasted a lot and I've enjoyed a lot and I've been incredibly privileged with a full life of a lot of stuff. Nothing satisfies you like the presence of God. Nothing. And nothing satisfies you like the fellowship, the close fellowship of two, of two brothers. And nothing satisfies you as much as when you see someone coming to Jesus. Those are the things that, like, if they happen, then everything makes sense. But then we run around pursuing so many other stuff. And you can have all of those things without owning a cent. So I want to encourage you in this, in this time, and we're going to sing a couple of songs, and I want you to rather than to sing necessarily to spend time with the Lord and just work on these three things and just speak to Him about this. Also, where you have somehow allowed some of these agendas from the submarine in, because remember, that's how we started this sermon, that you would just say no. Just say no. And then what do you do? You don't go on a social media rant against any of these of uh, please Christians you do this you strengthen yourself in his grace you work out rhythms I learned from Jacques that he goes to sleep early because nothing is more important than to spend time with God tomorrow morning very early and if he doesn't go to bed early, he can't do that sustainably. And nothing is more important than that. So he won't do anything late. Not social, not phone, not rubbish series, nothing. Because if it's going to make me have to wake up later and I won't be able to spend my hour or two hours with Jesus, it's not worth it. And I often sit on my phone, I do my admin after 9 o'clock on my phone until 10 o'clock and when I've done it, then I get this conviction after I've learned from him. I realize now, if I wake up at 4.30 now, then, I mean, I can't do it tomorrow, but it's not going to be sustainable going forward. <laughs> so I'm just stop this and focus on r- rhythms and ways of doing life that actually makes sense. To strengthen myself in his grace, forming these daily, weekly, monthly habits. Number two, how are you engaging in the discipleship imperative? 
Who are you praying for? Who are you walking with? What's your intentionality going to be like? What is it like? This is a beautiful time we're going into where many of us are going on holiday and we get to engage with people we don't usually get to engage with. Trust God for something. And then what are the civilian pursuits you should just get disentangled from? What are those passions and plans and desires and things you're working on, your retirement versus eternity? What are the things you just got stuck in? That, you know, a lot of time Christians would say to me, but we, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really passionate about this, so it has to be God. I don't hear the voice of God, but I'm really passionate about this, so it has to be God. But then Scripture says the contrary. Scripture says those who have come to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and those, my sheep, hear my voice, and they will follow me. So if you truly want to follow Jesus, you'll hear his voice, A, and B, you cannot allow your passion, whatever it is, unless you know how, unless you can tell the testimony of how it is birthed by God, you cannot allow that to say whatever. You, you think your own, own passion is the thing that you know, drives us because it's in us. We must crucify that in order to get our real passions from him. And there should be a testimony and how we receive that. Juliet will tell you what her real, her real passions are, and many of you do. And those real passions you received, and there's a great testimony that you can tell people how you received those passions after you've crucified everything else. And then those are the things you hold on to. And they're greater, and they're deeper than these other things. All right? So I want to ask you these three questions. I want to ask the band to come up for the last 15 minutes. We have whatever the Holy Spirit has done in your heart, touched on, just work with Him in this. Um, And especially in this next month, ask yourself, how can I, how can I, how can I, how can I engage with these things? All right, because we can go on holiday, but um, the thing is, poor Father just looks at. To that, if we think we're gonna just um, tap our life completely and do whatever we want, we're just actually hop- hopping on the submarine. And Paul Father is saying, "Way to go!" I'm excited about this. God is really calling us out. All right, so we're gonna worship. You can stand with us. I want you to deal with God on this. And then I'll pray for us as we close.